Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. I'm your host, Chad Madden. This week, I wanted to share with you a recording from a recent webinar that I hosted. To get access to the slides and videos of this recording, you can visit getbreakthrough.com forward slash resources. Remember, this was a training hosted with a live audience, so there are real-time questions and answers that I think you will find valuable. Without further ado, let's get started. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Awesome. So welcome, everybody. Uh, what we are going to do in this online training session is cover uh, how to stop losing money in marketing. And I'm assuming that you're a private practice owner. And today we have, I'm joined by an expert, uh, Daniel Mina. Daniel is a customer success manager um, here at Breakthrough. He gets to work with a ton of different practices, including owners and their marketers, front desk, et cetera, and not only helps them with uh, their marketing, but also how they ultimately convert those people responding to their ads over to paying customers, paying patients. So welcome to the training here, Daniel. Thanks for having me, Chad. Great. So um, as we're getting started, uh, question number one, and you're going to go to the chat for this, is what's been the biggest waste of money uh, for your private practice on marketing? So uh, without me influencing you or biasing you in any way, you can go to the chat right now. And just think through in the last couple of years, what's been the biggest waste of money? Where did you spend marketing dollars for your private practice and you just didn't get a return? So go to the chat now and type it in there. But a few years ago, um, the co-founder here at Breakthrough, Carl Mattiola, did a, a huge survey of private practice owners, I think 300 plus, and um, got a ton of different responses in terms of uh, this question. And uh, what, what people mentioned was everything from um, the sponsorship of races, that, that was on there, billboards, radio, television, a whole bunch of different offline media, direct mail, patient newsletter, physician newsletter, et cetera, physician lunches, um, and then online media as well. So Google ads, uh, YouTube ads, Facebook, Instagram, uh, et cetera. And we, it took us a few months of looking at this data before we finally realized that in, in spite of there being 30 plus answers that practice owners in general, when our marketing fails, we only look at media type. And so we look at wherever we're spending the money, wherever we're writing the check to, whether it is um, a 5k race event or for a sponsorship, or if we're buying swag, or if we're writing, you know, uh, giving Facebook our credit card. And then we tend to blame it on the media type. And yes, in order to get your marketing efforts right, we d and we've covered this on in trainings before, but we have to nail the market message media match. They must be in alignment. So we must be targeting the, the right target market. I've shared in the past, you know, our target market here for our private practice and most of the other practices that we work with here in healthcare. It's a 45 to 64 year old family oriented female. That means she's likely married. Um, she likely is taking care of her kids, her husband, and possibly even her uh, parents. And she's also very social. Um, so we have to nail that marketing. We then have to match our messaging, right? We have to use words that talk about her pain point, whether it's back pain or diabetes or um, a podiatry issue, a, a dental issue, whatever, the, the, whatever we're trying to um, attract in the marketplace we have to use messaging. We have to use language that aligns with the target market that we selected. And then finally, and lastly, we must be using media in the way that the target market is using it. So those three things, in order to get our marketing right, they have to line up. And for most, what, what we saw uh, years ago when we had this survey is most owners were blaming, and it was near 100%. And like 99.9% .9 of owners were blaming the media type. Very few were saying anything about messaging or I didn't segment my target market the right way or anything like that. So just blaming media. In our time here today, and that's this is 
the real problem of what we're going to take a look at and solve. Um, yeah, well, uh, we're going to take a look at number one way practices are losing money, wasting money on marketing. We're going to talk about how you can successfully fill up your practice, um, what your staff, what your team members uh, need to know in doing that. Uh, the one word that you should never say, this came, uh, this is new material um, just a week or two ago that I kind of stumbled upon or we stumbled upon when we were auditing um, some calls, some marketing calls and what you should be saying instead. And then, like I said, we'll open this up with Daniel for Q&A here at the end. And um, so now we're going to get into that error that we were talking about earlier and um, and this is, you know, number one way practices are wasting their marketing dollars and most don't even realize it. And it's really leads falling through the cracks. So once we get the marketing right with that market message media match and we're getting some sort of response, most of us um, have some sort of leak, uh, a leak in, a, in the process where those potential patients are not being followed up with and ultimately um, doing nothing more than maybe getting an email from us or a phone call, um, and that's the extent of it. So it, typically what happens is the front desk or the marketer, the person that is responsible for following up, they're busy, uh, you know, maybe they're keeping everything in spreadsheets and it's hard for them to keep up. So it may seem like things are under control, um, but the follow-up is often delayed where time is very valuable, the speed of follow-up is very valuable, or they're just missed out on their skip completely. Um, yeah, we'll talk about best practices here in a minute. And then uh, yeah, inefficient processes, wasting a lot of time or wasting a lot of effort um, sorting through uh, spreadsheets. I know for us, uh, e even in dealing with this, um, myself in our practice, uh, we had one person that was spending more than 20 hours a week um, just in, in trying to keep track of everything. So that that is a lot of wasted dollars, a lot of wasted time. And what that means is those potential patients, so if you have a leaky funnel, you're wasting money ultimately, and you're getting a lower return on your marketing spend. And I know we're talking about wasting dollars here, but there's something bigger that's going on. So if we put an ad, you know, if we take the time to put out uh, an online ad on Facebook, Instagram, Google, or YouTube, which is where we advertise online, or we're doing something offline, like radio, television, or print, we've taken the time to nail that market message media match. Now, let's say you're the person, um, or let's, let's pick on Daniel. So Daniel is our uh, guest of honor here. Daniel responds to the ad, right? So he's here in central Pennsylvania. He responds to the ad. And ultimately, if we don't follow up with him, what happens? Well, he's going to go elsewhere. He's going to try something else. He may go to a conservative care competitor, which is probably the best case scenario. The worst case scenario is he logs on, in our case, physical therapy, and he says, okay, I have, what's your, what's your pain point, Daniel? Shoulder pain? Great. So you have shoulder pain. You click on the ad. Um, you, we don't follow up with Daniel. And ultimately, in his mind, he's going to say something or think something along the lines of, well, I tried physical therapy. I thought about that, but I'm going to go get something else. And that something else usually is some sort of pain or anti-inflammatory medication. In central PA, it's also a muscle relaxer, right? Makes no sense at all for shoulder pain most of the time. Um, absolutely unnecessary. He's going to end up getting a diagnostic image, which is likely going to show some sort of impingement syndrome or arthritis, if that's what he has going on, and ultimately end up getting an injection, possibly a surgery um, as well. So pretty brutal if we're not doing our job in terms of the follow-up, in terms of nailing the marketing, ultimately what happens is that patient ends up going elsewhere. And that's how we end up with a really expensive healthcare system that's not effective right? Not getting those people uh, who are in need of our services, the care that they need early on. So you might have a leaky funnel if, you know, you don't have a, a clear process for following up on leads, if there's no accountability, um, uh, who, you know, who is owning following up on the leads, or, or you don't measure it in any way. If your caller, the person handling that communication doesn't follow up on a lead within several minutes of that person clicking on the ad, or you only call leads a couple of times 
uh, before giving up. And on average, most of us are giving up after that, that second, uh, second attempt. So, and finally here, before we uh, switch over to Daniel sharing with you, you some really good stuff in here. Um, you know, you want to be able to con conduct a conversion audit. And what that means is that you're actually going to looking to see how your team members are having phone calls. We record our calls, right? So what do those phone calls sound like? What do the email responses, how do they read? And uh, I mean, literally, we just did this a week or two ago in our practice. And we just saw, I was assuming that because we had really good people on the phone and we had a high success rate there, that we were carrying those same principles over to texting and email. And quickly what we saw is that was not true, right? And just because we had the principles nailed in phone calls did not mean that we had it nailed um, in those other media types being texting and email. So that's a conversion audit where you actually go in and you listen, you look at how your team is responding um, to these leads coming through. And very quickly, if you just look at it frequently, you can uncover um, any leaks that you might have in your funnel. All right. So at this time, I'm going to hand this over to uh, Daniel, and he's going to walk us through the best practices that he's seeing and working with um, literally dozens of practices in, in tackling this problem. Thanks, Chad. Yeah, so we'll we'll give the answer to kind of the best practice around how many times should we be touching base with a lead that comes through in a few slides here. But first, want to align on what a funnel looks like. Uh, we, we talk about this funnel. Do you have a leaky funnel? I uh, just want to align on what that process from start to finish looks like. So someone sees an ad, uh, the ad resonates with them. They have shoulder pain, as Chad you know, used as an example. Uh, so they click on our ad. And a lot of times, unfortunately, this is where a lot of practices stop. Uh, they, they get an ad uh, response, but they don't really do a whole lot with it. Maybe they do the bare minimum and they have a conversation with that lead or potential patient. Um, and maybe they're able to move them through to the next step, which in a lot of cases is maybe a workshop, an educational event, uh, or maybe it's initial exam or a free screen. And after that, we review results for them if we get that far. And if we made it that far, the likelihood of converting a lead to a patient is very high, very high, um, north of 70, 75%, I would say. Um, but so I want to zoom in on that space between steps two and three. So we've laid out three scenarios here. One where we have a, a poor caller, we'll call it. One who is an okay caller, but they have a poor follow-up process. And the third is, we call it the optimized conversion machine. So let's just look at this, the results um, using these three scenarios. So if we have a poor caller, we're going to stick with 37 leads across the board, apples, apples comparison here. Uh, but because we have someone who's not strong on the phone, their ability to get appointments scheduled, their conversations with those leads are not effective. They're only able to secure three appointments, less than 10%. Um, and of those appointments that are scheduled, only one appointment is actually kept. So we had three scheduled, two dropped off. But we didn't. We weren't able to convert the other two back or bring them back in for to get them back on the schedule. And unfortunately, because we had such a low number of attendees, we didn't really convert any to a plan of care. Let's say that we're able to help that caller improve their process on the phone. They have a script that they work uh, work with. They use. They're comfortable with. Uh, they have the same thirty seven leads, but because their conversations are stronger. They're able to connect with more people and get them to that next step of scheduling appointment. So now we're closer to about 33%, 12 out of those 37 are scheduling an appointment. And because we have you know, a fall process in place, but it's not necessarily a good one, we're still seeing a high drop-off rate. So we're getting 50% of those that did schedule an appointment, but six people did fall off. The good news is that with the six, we were able to secure four plans of care. Now, the last scenario there is a best case scenario. Uh, same leads, phone conversations are strong, and we have a follow-up process in place, which allows us to take advantage of those people that initially scheduled an appointment. But for those who do fall off, we're circling back with them. Um, so many times uh, we have a conversation, we have a talk track in place that we use when that happens, and we're able to re-engage or revive those leads, if you will. 
Um, so now we have 15 appointments kept out of the 18. We're only dropping off three. And because we have such a high number of individuals attending appointments, there's a high likelihood that we're going to have more plans of care, which in this case is 13. Um, the changes or the differences in each step are incremental, but the end result, positive or negative, it is huge. Um, the better we are at handling each step of the funnel, the better off we'll be at the bottom of the funnel. And I would say that uh, the more impact we have up top, the better our chances are down below, because as the funnel slims down, we have less and less leads to work with. So before the conversation takes place, we need to be able to get those leads on the phone. Uh, the follow-up conversation needs to happen, ideally within five minutes of that individual signing up. Uh, why is that important? Now, if you think about in the example of Chad signs up for something that was of interest to him, if we don't call him back, either he is not gonna take us seriously, uh, his interest was very much in the moment, and if he doesn't hear back from us, maybe it was just a fleeting thought and now he's no longer truly interested. Or the example that Chad used is if he's really interested and he reached out to practice A, got no response, but really wants to proceed with treatment, then he reaches out to practice B and C, um, which is now our loss. We want to make sure that we're taking multiple attempts to reach those individuals. Uh, we asked the question of how many times are you following up with a lead? And the answer was across the board, but most fell within that one to two range, one to three. Seven is a magic number that, that we believe makes a difference. Um, and the graph on the right just kind of illustrates why that is. Uh, when you try someone the first time, you might reach them, 39% chance you're gonna reach them. Uh, if you try them again, your likelihood of uh, engaging with them increases significantly, 72%. And as we move up higher, we're naturally increasing the likelihood that we're going to connect with them. Now, we're not saying try them endlessly, but there is a magic number or at least an equilibrium point where at some point it may drop off. But until we hit that magical number, that is where, that's what we want to strive for. That's the target we want to try to hit as a practice. And we also want to hit them. Oh, sorry, Jen. Uh, we also want to hit them hard in the first couple of days. Um, you'll notice on that graph, uh, the number of attempts is down below, but we also look at this in the amount of time that we're working with. Uh, we want to do it within that first seven, eight days. We want to really try to engage with them. At the eighth day, if we still haven't made contact, then maybe they've, they've lost interest and we can try them again another time using nurture campaigns, things like that. Um, but it is important to really hit them hard early on. And the last piece there is using multiple media types, whether it be phone, email, or text. Um, and as Chad alluded to earlier, uh, we want to make sure that we have a good process in place, which we'll talk about, uh, because while we may be good on phone, uh, just randomly using text or randomly using email will yield random results. And so quick poll here. Uh, what is the one word to never say on a follow-up call? Any guesses? Feel free to drop it in chat. And just as we're waiting for guesses to come in, um, the so where this came from, and I alluded to it earlier, I was listening to phone calls, and then I our group uses one of my email accounts to respond to all of the leads coming through for our practice. And I just noticed whenever I heard this on a phone call, whenever I saw it in a text exchange, or uh, saw it in an email, the chances of that uh, that person, that potential patient actually coming in for an appointment and scheduling a plan of care uh, went to near zero. And a, a good conversion normally would be uh, over 50% would be ideal for us um, and is across our entire company. But uh, as soon as this word is in there, the, the rate goes to zero. And it doesn't matter if it's in a live conversation, if it's left in uh, a voicemail, um, if it comes via way of text or comes via way of email, it instantly drops. So we have no guesses so far, Daniel. Uh, Eric says insurance. Eric, great guess. Uh, th this word only has two letters in it. Any other guesses? No. <laughs> uh, 
No. All right. So uh, that word, um, great, Ruth. Love the guesses here. That word is if. And this, so Daniel, we're, we're just going to, and I'm sorry that this is going to be completely off the cuff, but I'm hoping you're game for this. So um, you're, you're a family man, correct? I am. Right. All right. Father, husband. Um, so let's say you're in the market for a new car and I'm, uh, so, uh, what, what brand of car do you drive for your family? Toyota. Toyota. Great. So you're looking for a new Toyota. You're looking at, let's say it's a RAV4. What's the uh, Toyota minivan, the family van? Sienna. Sienna. Do you have really have a? (laughs) Great. So let's say you and your wife are in the market for a new Toyota Sienna. And I, uh, I work for Toyota. You come in, you talk with me, we have a conversation. And I say, Daniel, um, oh, you know, why are you looking for a new Sienna? And what would you say? Yeah, I'm looking for a safer car. Um, yeah, our car's a little older. So, yes, yeah, one for modern technology. Okay. So you're looking for the updates. So it seems like safety is important to you. Um, is there anything else important to you in looking for a new, uh, new minivan for your family? No, no, I thought that's pretty much it. Okay, great. So let's say that conversation went on for 15 minutes. I'm assessing your needs. Um, and then we get to the end and I say, okay, Daniel, well, hey, it was great to meet you. By the way, if if you're looking to buy a new minivan or when that time comes around, here's my card. Just call me and, uh, and I'll be here waiting for you. You'd sounds be a good. little, sounds good. You'd be a little disappointed in that process, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, so, but that is exactly what we're doing as healthcare providers. And uh, I, I've seen it in all media types and we'll get to the point. And I noticed this in the email exchange and the one, the one particular email exchange that I looked at where it really jumped out was uh, I think there were seven back and forth. So it was Daniel, what's going on with your shoulder? And you responded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shoulder pain. Great. So day to day, what, what, um, what type of activities bother you the most? You know, I can't work out as much as I'd like and even carrying my daughter on my right side hurts sometimes. Okay. And, um, okay. So you're having trouble working out and even carrying your daughter. Got it. Um, how long has that been going on for? Oh man. A few months now at least. Okay, great. So we have this back and forth dialogue and then what makes us feel good, right? We feel like we're doing the right thing, mm-hmm. but I could easily say there, well, Daniel, um, if you want to get that taken care of, um, just give us a call when you're ready, right? That, that would be the bad Toyota Sienna close, right? Same exact idea here where we say something if, you know, um, if you want physical therapy or if you're interested in learning more about our services or whatever that may be. And it just, it completely deflates the entire process of what has happened up to this point with regards to discovery and showing care. So watch out for it. If you hear it on a phone call, um, if you, pun intended, um, if you read it in an email or in a text exchange, whatever media types you're using, just realize you're pretty much invalidating all the work that you did up to that point. Now, there is a better way to handle that, and we'll get into that here. Yeah, so it's a powerful thing. Um, I think the issue there is if leaves a lot of uh, decision in the hands of, of that lead or potential patient, um, it gives them too many options and we need to be a little more guided in how we have that conversation. So best practices around the conversations we should be having. Um, and a lot of this is probably uh, not a surprise, but nonetheless, we see that some of these pieces are missing on the calls that we're auditing. Uh, short introduction. We want to keep it short and sweet, but it is important to have that introduction, who you are, what practice you're with, why you're calling. They signed up for something, so it shouldn't be a complete surprise as to why, why you're reaching out to them. But we wanna also, and this is the most important part, ask questions and listen. Now the old saying is we should listen twice as much as we speak and the same rule applies here. We wanna ask them what their health concern is, um, how long has it been going on as Chad did, uh, what have they tried so that we can understand uh, where they're coming from and understand their experience and speak to them kind of where they are, meet them where they are. Um, Really want to just get them to open up. Beyond building rapport, it makes them feel heard 
and makes them feel like that they've come to the right place. Uh, so tips, kind of summarize that their conversation is very patient-centric. It's always about them. Uh, we don't really want to say too much about ourselves or how great we are. Um, to some degree, they've, they've already raised their hand and reached out to us for our help. So let's just keep it focused on them right now. And so it's, if we're not saying, you know, if you're ready to move forward, uh, what, what are we saying? Uh, we want to go with more of the assumptive flows, if you will. Um, do you want to get it taken care of? We want to assume that they are ready and that we're just asking the question, when do you want to come in? Uh, when's a good time to start that process? When we say if, they start to think about money, time commitments, what do they have going on in the next few weeks? Mm, yeah, it's probably not actually going to work. So yeah, we'll probably hold off for now. When we say, do you want to get that taken care of? It's, it's a simple yes or no. And we've just had them disclose how much pain they're in, how long it's been going on, and all the things that they've tried and hasn't yet worked. And so we've kind of created this, we brought to light the narrative that they already have in their mind and maybe they didn't realize before. Great. And I just want to uh, clean up one thing here on this slide. Uh, three critical questions you need to ask. Number one says, what's your health concern? That's a, a broad um, umbrella question. Most of the time, you're going to know the specific diagnosis based on the ad type that they came through on. So uh, what, what we have found to work the best is, Daniel, what's going on with your shoulder? So, Or Daniel, what's going on with your diabetes? Or whatever the problem may be, ask them specifically and, and focus in on with genuine curiosity, what is going on with their condition? How are they struggling with that? So just wanted to clean that up because you're probably not going to say what's your health concern. You call up. And so that last slide was really thinking about the follow-up conversations that have place, again, looking at that space between stage two and three. Uh, Seven-step killer exam. This is something that happens once we've brought them into the practice. Either they've attended a workshop where they went straight to an eval on the free screen, but this is a process that, that we follow. Um, and the goal here is to really increase awareness for patients um, of what's going on and get their commitment and agreement and respect for the treatment plan that, that we, we're gonna put in front of them. Uh, and so the conversation starts off very similarly. We want to introduce ourselves, understand what their pain is stopping them from doing, similar to how in my case, my shoulder pain affects my ability to work out and carry my daughter. Um, what is it doing for them? Uh, are they not able to, if, if it's knee pain, are they not able to participate in marathons if that's the, their thing? Um, what is it stopping them from doing? How does it affect their, their daily living? Have they had PT before? We want to understand, do they have any uh, preconceived beliefs about the ability of PT to help them? Um, and we want to try to address those and get in front of them before it comes up later down down that session. Uh, test, treat, and retest. This is an opportunity for us to, one, recreate the issue that, that they're having, um, do a, a quick treatment, an adjustment, if you will, um, and retest and show them a quick win. And the idea there is that we're showing them how we're able to help them. If we can help them in less than a few minutes, imagine what we can do over the course of a few weeks or however long that treatment plan might be. Once we've kind of impressed them, if you will, uh, help them understand what's actually going on in that shoulder or in that knee in language that they can understand. Uh, not everyone is a physician um, and, and they may not understand the fancy words that we, you like to use um, with, with your colleagues. And so really break it down for them. I don't want to say dumb it down, but break it down for them into language that, that everyone can understand. And only then are, are we safe to move forward with the treatment plan agreement and the financial plan. Um, if you were to reverse this order, we talk about treatment and how much it's gonna cost and how much time they have to commit, we scared them away. Um, so we need to first get their buy-in, remind them why they're here, how this is affecting them, um, how we can help them. And only then can we talk about what treatment might look like specifically for them and how much it's gonna cost and then finally, getting them started on treatment plan. And so thinking about uh, the, the treatment team that's really managing the seven-step killer exam, how, how do we make sure that we are taking what's working and applying that across the team? We want to 
first we have to start tracking uh, who's really good at converting people from a free screen or an eval to a plan of care. Uh, once we've identified those individuals, we want to see what they're doing. Maybe we record their exams if that's something they're open to or can do, um, or we just talk to them about their process. What are the questions? What's their talk track? Um, and then how do we extrapolate those results and apply it to the rest of the team so everyone is not following that to a T. Uh, we don't want robots, but we do want them to hit the similar um, important uh, parts of that conversation so they're seeing similar results. Awesome. And uh, just practical application there for uh, Daniel, completely agree with the recording seven-step killer exam, depending on the state that you're in and permissions that you have and what your practice act looks like or your provincial practice act if you're in uh, Canada. Um, the What we have found to be effective and personally what I've done is I'll just go in the room and sit with the therapist. And unfortunately, it's usually when there's significant drop-off. So I'll give you two ends of the extreme that have happened for us over the last three years. Um, we had a therapist who um, 40 new patients in a row, so first appointments, whether that was a free screen discovery visit or uh, initial evaluation, um, all 40 of those people scheduled a full plan of care. That's pretty good, right? Um, we had uh, a younger clinician start with us, uh, entry-level grad. They had nine first appointments and one person scheduled a uh, plan of care. So in that case, we had an experienced therapist go into the room, listen to what they were saying, clean it up, and instantly they they got better. So you can see just by looking at results, and if you do exactly what Daniel said there in terms of just tracking it, just looking at it, um, and listen to what is going on in that the treatment room for the treatment plan agreement and presentation, you can quickly um, quickly fix it, especially if you're the more experienced or most experienced clinician. And here's how uh, Breakthrough can help. Um, so at Breakthrough, we do um, really three big things. The first is we have proven direct-to-consumer marketing campaigns. And what that does is we focus on education, utilizing, delivering goodwill to the community in the advertising. And direct response or direct um, means that it's trackable, right? So we can't, you and I as small private practice owners, we can't really afford to waste money on branding uh, that makes us look good, we have to do something where we're delivering value. So we have campaigns, um, and by the way, we work with uh, all of conservative care, essentially, uh, including podiatry, um, physical therapists, physios, chiropractic care, et cetera, um, and we do it with patient education. So first thing that we do is we do that market message media alignment, and we attract patients in. And yeah, so the, the next thing that we do is we help with conversion. We have uh, software breakthrough online exclusive to us. And what you can see here is you can actually track everything that is happening with your marketing, um, with your marketing efforts, right? So you can see who's coming through. You can see how your team is following up on this. You can audit and go listen to phone calls or um, audit email or text messages, et cetera, and make sure that you're completing the action and you're getting the, the full return on your marketing dollars here. And you can see that in the software. Um, and um, yeah, very quick confession. I uh, So we have a marketing team here and I hadn't been in our marketing software for uh, some time. And when I went back in, I could not believe um, all the gold nuggets that are in there, how much, um, how amazing the software is. So this is great. This is really our part of our secret sauce in terms of um, helping drive, helping increase patient demand. So here's another screenshot from there where you can see the entire funnel um, and the performance there. And you can uh, take a look at how, you know, not only the advertisements are working, but you can also track email campaigns and responses and everything else across the board. And you can see the results so you can act on them. So the very first thing that we have is the attraction. This is our, uh, the, the breakthrough flywheel. And you can see we do that through advertising, done-for-you campaigns, and pre-built uh, landing pages. We have the conversion component. So, yeah, Daniel, thank you for doing this and sharing your, your wisdom, experience, and insight here. But this is ultimately about lead management. We have email automation. Uh, in 2021, we sent out over 8 million 
emails on behalf of uh, the practices that we work with. There's also a, a two-way texting tool um, to just expand. You know, most of us are going to respond to a text more quickly than we're going to respond to an email. Um, and then we have the ROI intelligence, the benchmark insights where you get to see how you're doing um, relative to other practices and then training and coaching as well. And that's the, the measure component. The, so just a really quick win of how well this is working. Uh, I had some of our marketing meetings uh, this morning for our practices. We have six locations. Um, in two of our locations, we have a wait list right now. And uh, the last one that I was on with, we just opened that clinic April 1st of 2021. And it's uh, roughly 2,000 square feet. We're already scheduling over 170 visits a week in that space, and we're out of space. So I literally received the text from the landlord, there's a vacancy in that area, and we're already expanding that clinic um, in less than one year. What's the secret? Well, we, we're nailing the marketing by working here with Breakthrough, and then we, uh, we have amazing callers and converters um, in, in terms of clinicians within that space. And they very much drive uh, this process. And that's what we help um, other practices do as well with Daniel and the rest of the Breakthrough team here. By the way, um, if you're watching this right now and you want to see what this looks like working in your practice and get a demonstration, you can go to getbreakthrough.com forward slash April webinar. And when you attend the demonstration uh, with our team member, you also get a $50 Amazon gift card. That's getbreakthrough.com forward slash April webinar. And hopefully we can have uh, that link in the chat as well. Are you interested in learning? I almost said if there, that would have been funny. Uh, are you interested in learning how Breakthrough can help you fix your funnel and fill up your practice? Um, if so, to get a demonstration, you can click on yes within the Breakthrough poll. It's coming up right now. There you go. And uh, what will happen when you click on that? Uh, a team member, when you click yes, a team member will reach out. And they'll uh, show you exactly what this can look like um, in your practice. Great. Thank you. Hey, podcast listeners. When we make assumptions about others, it's just not fair. In spite of that, I'm going to make an assumption about you. You have a growth mindset. You want to help more people, leave a bigger impact, build a better practice. Am I close? If I'm right, then I have a unique offer that I think you'll be interested in. But first, if you're a regular listener, you probably know that this is brought to you by Breakthrough, the leading platform for private practice growth. Breakthrough's mission is to help people in pain get back to normal, live healthier, and do it naturally. The best way to do this is by empowering private practice owners like you to grow your business through direct-to-consumer marketing. If you're a practice owner with a growth mindset, you'd benefit from a risk-free consultation with a Breakthrough growth expert. Go to getbreakthrough.com forward slash podcast offer to take advantage of this unique opportunity. On that call, you'll learn the key principles of how practice owners are helping more people, creating a bigger impact, and building better businesses with Breakthrough Systems. As an added bonus, the team at Breakthrough is giving a $50 Amazon gift card to any of the podcast listeners who attend this growth consultation. Sign up for your growth consultation and $50 gift card at getbreakthrough.com forward slash podcast offer. Again, that's getbreakthrough.com forward slash podcast offer. You can also go to that, uh, the URL, the getbreakthrough.com forward slash April webinar. At this time, we'll open this up for any questions that you have for Daniel. So think through, uh, I think about three levels of conversion. Right. The first one that we have is that the, the, per, the first contact with the business. So somebody res, uh, clicks on and responds to an ad, just like Daniel showed in the timeline there. And they have that first point of contact. What should that sound like? How do we listen to that? What questions do you have regarding that? And then ultimately, um, if you're doing a workshop or a lecture or a presentation, um, there's another conversion point, and then what happens when they schedule that first appointment and they're in the room with the clinician, that seven-step killer exam that Daniel went through there as well. What questions do you have? You can type that in the Q&A, 
and we'll open it up right now for your questions. Hey, Chad, we have one question from Eric that he dropped in the chat. Um, Eric asked, do you have long-term corrective treatment plans with, do you do long-term corrective treatment plans with patients? Um, What if the patient only wants short-term care, like one or two visits versus corrective care that might be 10 to 20 visits or more? So there was a a key term in there that uh, Daniel used, which is assumptive close. And any process that we're sharing with you really the qualification for a process is it needs to work 80% of the time. So could there be outliers where we present a a 12 visit treatment plan and the person says, well, I can only afford to for time or money resource purposes. I can only afford to come once a week or once every other week. Absolutely. We're, We're working with a person. We'll make the recommendation. Here's what we, this is the problem that we see. Right, we we literally walk through that seven step killer exam, create tremendous awareness about how it's affecting them in their life. Here's what successful treatment looks like. We present that to the patient. Do patients ever say, you know, can I do once a week? I can't do three times a week because of work or whatever. Absolutely, that happens. I mean, the vast majority of the time, eighty percent plus, they're uh, going to you know the exact recommendation of the therapist. When so. This is uh, maybe potentially controversial, shouldn't really be. Uh, We have had therapists, and uh, just to give you an idea, right now we have 45 clinicians. So I get to look at a lot of data, not only for us, but also the 200 plus practices that we work with via breakthrough. And uh, what we'll see is once in a while we'll have uh, typically an inexperienced clinician who just has tremendous plan of care drop off. There's usually something in that first appointment that that clinician is saying where they back off in terms of confidence if, if they're getting a lot of one, two, three, four plan of care treatments. Again, we, we see that. It's not that they, they don't happen. I mean, the perfect example would be uh, our vestibular patients or VPPV patients come in. You know, sometimes you go through, you do the Epley maneuver or whatever the... Uh, candle to three positioning maneuver is they're better in, you know, by the second or third visit and they're, they've reached their goals and they've graduated, right? That is fantastic, but that's not every patient. And if you're seeing that happen all the time, there's usually something that you can look at within that ex- exam and just see if there's back off uh, for that clinician. Great. Thank you. Um, we have another question here from Mary. She's asking, or she's saying, our front desk staff feels like uh, one, they're being asked to sell, to sell, and two, they're uncomfortable asking too many questions themselves. Um, do you have any suggestions? Do you want to go first, Daniel? I, I can certainly back you up here. Yeah, yeah, happy to take it, and feel free to add on. Um, when I work with practices, I, I think the the issue is that they they feel like. Um, well, one, sales has, has a stigma. They don't want to be seen as salespeople. Uh, but what I always say is that we're not selling anybody anything. Um, we are responding to their interest in seeking treatment. And we're, we're following up with something that they asked for. Um, if we don't follow up with them, we're doing ourselves and more so them a disservice. Uh, and as far as being uncomfortable with you know asking too many questions, um, I, I see that a lot with lead converters more so newer staff uh, that maybe aren't as comfortable being on the phone. Uh, and what can really help with that is the, you know, having a talk track, having a script in place that they practice, they use, uh, and that they rely on. And not, again, not verbatim, but it just helps to guide the conversation, making sure that they're, they're hitting the marks as far as what's important in those con- con- conversion calls. Um, but the biggest thing, again, is we're not selling. Um, every great salesperson will probably say that, they're not good because they're good at selling. Uh, they're good at building relationships and they're servicing people. They're helping people. And that's why they're, they're good. They yield good results, but it's not because they're good at sales. So Chad, I'm sure you can clean that up for me, but kind of where my head goes. Right. So that before you said that, Daniel, I wrote down the, so when most people are saying they don't like sales, what they're saying, really saying is 
I don't like convincing other people to do things that I don't believe in that that's really, if you dig down enough, that that's what I hear. Um, the, the sales, if you go back to it's either a Latin or some derivative of Latin root, it, it literally means to serve. And I heard you say service, right. Or serve others, Daniel. So that is spot on. Uh, we, it starts in the hiring process as we're hiring. And in our case, we're physical therapists, but if I was a chiropractor or a dentist or a podiatrist, I'd be doing the same exact thing. Um, I, I ask, have you ever had physical therapy before? And that I, I want to know, do they have an affinity? Do they have a strong belief in, in PT? If they had a very bad experience or they, uh, you know, they had PT and it didn't work for them. Typically that's when, well, I don't feel comfortable doing this. I don't feel comfortable uh, you know, because I don't have a high affinity for the service that we're providing, you want to you want to eliminate that in the immediately in the hiring process or handle it. And what we've done in the the situations where we already hired somebody and they didn't have a a high affinity or understanding of what we do in PT is they'll either observe in the clinic or we'll just treat them, um, and literally. Just ask, you know, do you have pain right now? And I remember the last time that we did this, uh, it was a receptionist. She had Achilles pain and we literally treated her right there. And then the second that we treated her, everything changed. And now she was willing to rave about, you know, the treatment that Christian or Joe or Michelle were providing back in the clinic because now she had some reality behind it. So just be cognizant of that um, and think about it in your hiring process that you're hiring people that are. Uh, literally fanatical or extremely enthusiastic about what you're doing. The other component on interest that that's a really a core values thing too, where you want somebody who's ultimately interest interested, genuinely curious in uh, potential patients and helping them along the way. You, you went to chiropractic school or PT school. You have a degree, you have a license, you do know you, you, likely know significantly more than the general population of people who live around your clinic. It's the same thing with your staff. You're the guide. You're holding the hand. You're walking them along. That's why they're reaching out to you. So that understanding um, is important for you to paint that picture as a practice owner too for your front desk and make sure that everybody's on board. Awesome. Uh, we have another question from Robert, um, similar around training your staff. Um, he says, you talked about creating accountability for your staff, but I don't have time to manage people that closely. How can we track track this without requiring too much um, of my time? Well, the two quick answers for you there. Daniel, I'll, I'll back clean up. Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. I think you touched on this during the presentation. Go ahead. So number one is uh, they should be enter. So the person doing the work on the front lines, your staff, your team should be entering their information into a place where you can see it, you can view it. Um, the other thing that we do is um, if you would ever observe one of our staff meetings, uh, you'd be disappointed in terms of how much talking I do or one of our clinical directors do because it's literally the staff standing up and saying, this is what I did this past week. This is what I have on tap for next week. And this is my plan to make it better. Right. So that, um, that type of transparent workplace, um, ownership mentality workplace can go a long way for you. And that it's, is there upfront effort to make that happen? Absolutely. But it saves you a lot of time in the future. Um, yeah, I'm not sure how, without doing like a full management course, I'm not sure how else to help you there, Robert. But uh, if, if you could respond in the chat, if that helped you out at all, um, that would be great. They need to be reporting to you what, what they're doing is essentially the, the gist of it. Great. I think we have time for just um, one more question. Um, so this comes from Joan. How do you follow up seven times without seeming spammy? Yeah. 
one, I think it starts with the, the belief, uh, the underlying belief, as Chad kind of alluded to. We're, we're reaching out because they raise their hand. Uh, they're in pain. We as a you know, clinic want to help them. Uh, so if we stop at any point short of what we know to be the magical number of being able to make a connection with this individual, uh, we're really giving up on them. Uh, that's the way that I would look at that. Um, as far as uh, following up with them, the reason that they're not answering is, is not because uh, they're avoiding us. Uh, life is happening. They're just not able to get to the phone. And so we want to make it easy for them to make that connection with us. So by following up with them quickly, one, uh, they're, they're, it's easier to associate why a call is coming in. If they click on an ad on Facebook, five minutes later, they see a phone number they're not familiar with, but it's local. Um, they're more inclined to pick it up because they'll be able to make that connection. Now, if we miss them on that first time, we want to make sure that we stay top of mind for the individual, um, whether it's calling or texting, continually reminding them that, hey, we're reaching out because you signed up for something um, is going to make it easier for the individual to reach back out. But it also shows them that we're serious about trying to help them and respond to their need or their ask for help. Completely agree with what Daniel said there. We're going to get sick and tired and bored of our own messaging and reach out long before they will. Um, we have seen even efforts, and uh, this might have been one of the practices that you work with, Daniel, but uh, Deborah, I believe, uh, Debbie Lamson, I think, out of Idaho did this, but uh, she reached out to people that had signed up uh, six months ago, six months to a year ago, and just said, hey, what's going on with your shoulder, your back, whatever the problem was that they had signed up for, and had immediate responses out of that. So literally, she just never gave up. We implemented the same thing here. And I know other practices have followed her lead and have done the same thing. It, it's very And so people who were seemed to have ghosted us before, um, were, were, you know, became reactivated and became live again, just because she had one more attempt in there a, a long time out. So yeah, we're going to get be, for every one person that you might have who unsubscribe or is, you know, a, a, compl a spam complaint for lack of a better term, you're going to have 20 who ultimately convert over to a plan of care who are thankful for your help and thankful that you were the guy there and that you had uh, the service to help them out. Awesome. Thank you, Chad. Thanks, Daniel, for all the great information. And thank you, everyone, for uh, attending this webinar. Yeah. How about some love for uh, Daniel and Daniel Mina in the chat, and then also uh, Andrea for putting, uh, putting these online trainings on for you. Remember to visit GetBreakthrough.com to access our free resource library designed specifically for private practice growth. While you're there, Make sure you register for a complimentary growth assessment to learn about potential opportunities for growth in your local market. Again, thank you for tuning into the Grow Your Practice podcast and supporting our mission to help people in pain get back to normal naturally.